Good afternoon, I'm Donald McLee. I'm a shipping research analyst at Berenberg Capital Markets. Be hosting the container ship panel today where we have Tassos Aslidos, CFO of Euroseas and Eurodry. We have Howard Finkel with Denaus Corporation. We have George Eurikos, Eurokos, Executive Chairman of Global Ship Lease, and Cal D'Ambrosio, Managing Partner of CMAX Capital Management. So just to get started, the container ship sector has undergone several changes over the past couple of years, along with some recent changes in the past couple of quarters. So I'd like to get kind of a broad idea of where do you think the current state of the container ship sector is? Start, yeah, let's start with you. Thanks, Donald. Thanks, Capital Inc., for inviting us for one more time, and thanks, everybody, for, for attending. Container ship sector, for us, we are active in the feeder sector, the smaller containers, is in an interesting point uh, in its cycle. Uh, the thing that I would like to highlight first is that uh, is the order book, which is uh, at around 13%, give or take, is the lowest, one of the lowest levels of the last 20 years, which is quite encouraging if one thinks that uh, even a few years back, the order books uh, was in the, in the order of 30, even 60% at some point of, uh, during the last decade. So that, I believe, sets the foundation for a potential recovery if several other aspects of the market align. Okay. Let me stop here and let the, my panelists refer to the other okay. sector aspects of shipping. Okay, uh, Howard Finkel with Costco. Um, a, a lot of changes going on in the industry. Uh, we're now um, with the purchase of OCL, uh, and then a few years ago we, uh, we merged with China Shipping we're now the third largest container uh, carrier in the world. Um, basically, alliances become very stronger. Uh, a year and a half ago, most of the alliances shifted. Um, we're in a, a new alliance. Practically every carrier is in a new alliance right now. Um, a lot of people, there's a lot of uh, noise in Europe, uh, a little bit anti-alliance. Uh, I don't think this is going to hold water. I think uh, carriers today with a very competitive environment, even though there are fewer carriers, um, it's still a, a brutally competitive uh, market out there. Um, I, I think you really need an alliance, a strong alliance, to uh, operate, keep your operating costs down. Uh, bigger vessels, you know, there's some criticism in the market. The vessels are too big. Um, truthfully, the, the largest vessels really haven't hit the United States yet. Um, very few ports in the United States can really handle efficiently those, those huge vessels, over 20,000 TEUs. Um, but uh, we've seen it's been a very, very strong import market for us because of a lot of shippers are trying to beat the tariffs. The export market is a little more challenging today because of uh, some of the tariff issues with exports. but. Uh, fairly strong market overall. All right. And George? Yeah. Thank you, guys. Uh, we on Global Ship Lease, we are focused on uh, mainly bigger ships, post-Panamaxes, and we have uh, some uh, feeders as well, which are cargo and trade-specific. We are embarking in an effort to educate investors on what we feel is the most important part in containers. I'm sure investors hear a lot about this story, the other story, the third story, lots of stories. I think we want to give the investors the reality story, which is the slot cost story. That's what it matters to liner companies. Howard just said that now, big ships. 
And we want to educate investors in containers to, to explain to them what liner companies are looking for, which is the lowest possible slot cost. And in this respect, that's, that's what we're doing. We feel that as a company, we're, we're placed exactly where we should be. Uh, our ships are the cascaders of the smaller sectors. Uh, our ships are the ships that provide the lowest slot cost out there. And we feel comfortable. Uh, we're moving ahead by uh, looking in uh, shareholder value, by extending our fleet. We feel the market is, is, very, is very good right now. We we're very positive on the future of the container market. Same question, Cap. We're at CMAX, uh, similar to where George is. We, our focus has always been in the post-Panamax segment. We, we have vessels between 8,000 and, uh, uh, and 9,000 TU, which is basically uh, as big as you can get uh, without getting into new buildings, which we've stayed away from. Our view is that liner companies will always try to put the biggest ship in each trade lane that they can to lower slot cost. And, uh, and it's paid out pretty well for ourselves. It's been a choppy market for the last couple of years. We're working with over capacity, but that with a low order book and utilization rates going up, we've seen a very positive uh, start to the year. Uh, 2019, we've seen charter rates for these larger ships getting into the mid 20s. Uh, and that should uh, fall down to the smaller sizes as well. The whole situation with the fuel change, uh, slow steaming potential for next year, uh, vessels getting taken out of service for scrubber fittings should also help the supply side. Uh, so assuming demand stays more or less where, where it is and people don't get overly excited with new, new building orders, we should be in pretty good shape for the next few years. Got it. So it sounds like intermediate term fundamentals are pretty positive, but I think um, one of the kind of sentiment headwinds that have been overlying the market recently is the, uh, the uh, US-China trade tariff situation. So it'd be great, Howard, maybe to hear the perspective of the liner companies on um, how that's been impacting trade. Yeah, I don't really want to talk too much about that. It's a political issue. Um, I could just say that uh, tr we haven't seen a huge effect on trade um, as mentioned, as I mentioned before, um, some of the imports that may be affected, the tariffs are not in effect yet. So we've had uh, really overbooking for the last six months, um, people trying to get in under the tariffs. There is some effect on the export. Um, that's been uh, hit a little bit on the agricultural products. Um, but still, that's probably in the 80% where the imports are uh, basically in the high 90s to full. Um, as far as where it's going to go, as I said, we're, uh, I'm not a politician. I, I don't have a crystal ball. Uh, but just uh, sensibly speaking, um, I think if you look at the consumer, there's probably going to be, a, you know, they're not, it's not probably, there is going to be an election in, in a year, a major election. Uh, if consumers get hit in the pocket, um, they're going to go for the the party that they think that uh, that's going to protect them, so their $300 TV doesn't cost $1,000 next year. So we're uh, hoping cooler heads will prevail. Thanks. And then Tassos, maybe to hear your thoughts with operating in the feeder space. I, I, I agree with the general uh, framework that uh, Howard mentioned. Uh, on the feeder space, the feeders primarily work with the regional trades and short sea uh, routes. So 
to, to some extent, they are less dependent on the U.S.-China uh, trade situation, obviously. Um, the, especially if it affects trade towards China, then there might be some further effect there. But I feel that we are less affected on the feeder sector uh, from the general uh, trade situation between U.S. and China. Okay, and then uh, just shooting a question to George on uh, IMO 2020. There's, in all the other shipping sectors, there's been kind of a pretty binary decision of if we're going to opt for scrubbers or not. How, how do you view that shaking out in the container ship sector? What do you think the impact is, and then how have kind of counterparties been managing that risk? Yeah, that's good. Okay, uh, first, if I may, I'd like to give a different view on the trade war, if I may. Sure. Yeah. I think trade war, as it might sound, seems strange to most of the people here, was the best thing that has happened to containers in the last few years. Our industry is cyclical, not because we have a cyclical demand. Every year demand is bigger than last year. Sometimes by a bigger number growing, sometimes by a smaller number growing, but it's always growing. So the reason we have a cyclical market is because of the supply. And trade war has put the supply in check. It has scared the shit out of people, and there was no ordering. And that's the best thing that could have happened to us. Right now, the order book going forward is the lowest we ever had. And honestly, I'm not worried about trade wars. I cannot imagine that you know, uh, goods are going to be produced in the uh, United States instead of uh, the Far East. They're not going to be produced in China. They're going to be produced in Vietnam or somewhere else. So that's my view on trade wars. Now, going to 2020, I believe that uh, container ships having usually, on an average, five times the engine, a container ship has five times the engine of a bulkier or a tanker of similar dead weight. They consume a lot more fuel than any other kind of ship. So fuel economy, it's of paramount importance in container versus other types of ships for one reason that I mentioned. And another reason is that they are, they are more at sea. Container ships have more seagoing days than any other type of ship. They, they sail more. Therefore, we expect, and we already see this happening, that the container fleet is going to slow down, maybe one, maybe two knots. All services are going to slow down. That is going to offer liner companies less cost and at the same time absorb the unnecessary capacity that exists in some sectors such as the big ships. So it's, it's a double whammy. So I'm a strong believer that 2020 is going to reduce the fleet net-net of uh, you know, new buildings minus slow steaming. Every one knot is reducing about 5% the fleet size. So a couple of knots is what we see happening in most trades slow down. So that can create an undersupplied market going forward. And uh, from what we see, uh, a lot of liner companies are getting themselves prepared for that. Scrubbers is not an issue for containers. It's not, like, uh, it's not, a, it's not something that is a speculative uh, approach that is in tankers or bulkers. In, uh, in our industry, we only install scrubbers on the back of charters. So you know, if the liner company wants a scrubber, we install it and we get a longer charter and we amortize it. Okay. Uh, question, sorry. Yeah, I'd like to just make for a liner company. I really think this is going to be the most important issue 
uh, in determining whether liner companies are going to be profitable or not in 2020. Um, just starting the contract season right now, uh, I definitely think you will see some increases. Of course, not exactly what we want, but we're seeing uh, the numbers go in at least a positive direction. However, um, in the past, we've, we've had a bunker formula that was fairly transparent to the shippers accepted in the market, and we did it through something called the TSA, which was the Trans-Pacific Stabilization Agreement. Uh, this we actually did away with. It was, uh, as you, most of you probably know, um, in the United States we have antitrust immunity, so the carriers are able to get together, discuss things like rates and surcharges uh, it, under very, very uh, limited conditions. However, um, we kind of disbanded the TSA last year, and now everybody has their own uh, IMO formula for this new bunker. And I'm, I'm hoping this doesn't turn into a commercial issue because there's not one forum right now. Um, and truthfully, shippers will do anything to kind of play carriers off each other. Um, I'm talking to a couple of the major uh, companies that track Bunker, one of them Platts in England. I had a meeting with them two weeks ago. I'm trying to get them actually to uh, talk to the Federal Maritime Commission and get a forum together so the trade actually has one bunker that they accept uh, because a lot of the carriers in 2019 that didn't do as well, uh, did, uh, they had those outcomes because they weren't collecting the proper bunker. So hopefully uh, when we have to buy, we're, we're not gonna use scrubbers on, on any major uh, factor. That, that it's gonna be small. We're gonna purchase the low sulfur fuel and we have to get a, a bunker formula that works. Interesting. Um, question for Cal. Uh, echoing some of Howard's earlier comments around alliances and a more consolidated counterparty base, also coupled with kind of declining operating margins last year, how do you think about managing your counterparty risk? Well, I think, uh, you know, from a ship owner's perspective, consolidation on the liner side is not, is not the greatest thing. I mean, you have less clients to talk to, but there's a couple of things that are upsetting that. Now, there's smaller players that are stepping up. So we see liner companies that in the old days were operating with vessels in the feeder sizes uh, or Panamaxes that are now stepping up and doing larger sizes. So other people are, are stepping up. We're worried about next year. I think I totally agree with everybody's statements here that overall the IMO 2020 and the fuel change will be overall positive for, the, for ship owners because it will absorb demand. The part that we're gotta watch closely next year is the counterparty risk from a, from a charter, from a ship owner's perspective, because are the liner companies gonna be able to effectively transfer that fuel cost increase to their customers? The industry has not always been the best at doing that, uh, and so it's gonna be a wait and see attitude from that perspective. Mm -hmm. But ourselves, we're getting ready for the transfer. Uh, most of our ships are, we're putting into charters that are gonna take us into next year. Uh, so we don't have to deal with a switchover, let's say, in, mm -hmm. in December or January. And, um, but we think it's, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the, the, the outlook is quite positive right now. Okay. Uh, switching gears a bit, in terms of opportunities, where do you think the most interesting growth, op growth opportunities are over the next 12 to 24 months? Uh, we can start with you, Start. We can look at the order book and what types of ship people are ordering to get a sense of where the industry is going. If you look at the order book, you see a bipolar picture. You will see people ordering feeders. There's 13% uh, 
order book for the feeders, and large container ships. The very large one, they have an order book of 50 plus percent, and everything above 12,000 TEU is being ordered. So I think these are the two areas that would attract the most demand in the market. That's why I guess people are ordering it, and this is what the liners and the needs of the trade require. Either very large ships that reduce the slot, the slot cost, mm -hmm. uh, or smaller ones like the ones, like, like the ones that we operate, that take and distribute the containers on a, on a local basis. Mm -hmm. So I think if you are a big company and with bigger capital that you can uh, deploy, uh, you, you can naturally look at the bigger vessels, the, the really big ones, not the middle range. But or if you are a smaller player like us, really the feeders is where you you want to be, mm -hmm. and which are somewhat protected also from the cascading that was mentioned earlier. Uh, just following Kyle, maybe you have a response to Tesla's commentary, just because you guys are kind of focused in the post Panamax segment. Yeah, I think that you know I, I would stay away from new buildings as long as possible because the reality is that we've had too many shifts for too long. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the opportunities right now lie in the secondhand tonnage. Uh, there's uh, charter rates are significantly been increasing over the last let's say six to eight months, while uh, asset values remain flat. So right now you could buy secondhand tonnage at relatively depressed market values and get a pretty good charter rate for the next 12 to 18 months. Mm -hmm. So I would focus more on that for, for the time being. I think, you know, stepping back a little bit on the China war uh, with the U.S. situation, we're more concerned about Europe than really the U.S. for the time being. I see we see Europe pretty depressed. You know, uh, Eurucus and ourselves are going to be faced with those ships, the larger ships being cascaded into the more traditional mid-sized 8,000, 9,000 uh, TU ships that are doing the Trans-Pacific. Uh, but overall, again, I think I would focus on second-hand tonnage from, for the time being. If I can correct, I didn't mean to order new buildings necessarily. Simply looking at the new build, at the order book, you get a sense of where the industry is going, mm -hmm. and you can buy very well second-hand ships of those, of those sizes. Um, just highlighting your comment on where asset values are currently. Um, so it makes sense on the secondhand basis, but do you think there's a potential for consolidation on the owner-operator side? Uh, maybe starting with George, you guys kind of done the most recent transaction? Yeah, I think it makes sense. Uh, it does make sense a lot for uh, consolidation, but uh, consolidation has to have a, a reason for both parties. I mean, for us it would make sense because we would grow the company uh, by, you know, doing a NAV to NAV ships for sales transaction. And for somebody who would want to merge with us, you know, come and join us, it would make sense because it would give uh, to that party liquidity and access possibly to you know, things that they, they don't have access, you know, being a public company versus a private company. You know, the moment you're private, public, you get access to uh, more finance, uh, other types of finance, and so on and so forth. Uh, we, we all know that the capital markets right now, they're not open uh, as we would all want to be, but capital markets open and close very quickly. So, you know, if the market is there, I think capital markets will, will view the opportunity and grab it. Okay. Um, maybe then going back to Cal, uh, George touched on kind of the dynamic between public and private, privately traded publicly traded companies and private companies. Do you think there's any maybe pros to potentially still being private in this current capital markets environment? Well, I'd rather be private right now uh, in many okay. ways. Uh, but I think that 
being public adds several million dollars of cost to any operation. That's the only certain thing that it's doing right now. Uh, the benefits right now, uh, as I think that we've heard from prior uh, talks, has been quite difficult to capital markets. We're still be able, we, we run our business very conservatively. Our, 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 our debt ratio is less than 50%. So we have a lot of operating flexibility and we don't really need to access the capital markets or the private markets. So I think at some point we'll be looking for liquidity and, and the capital markets do offer that exit. Uh, and with public shares, that gives you obviously uh, the ability to acquire assets uh, as well and grow the fleet if the, if the public markets are available. But there probably needs to be some level of critical size. Uh, there's a lot of small uh, publicly traded companies that may be stuck now and they may be stuck in the future as well. So that's something else to consider. If you're gonna be out there public, uh, you gotta take advantage of that market and not do it as uh, some other reason. Sure, um, maybe a general question for the panel. So it sounds like uh, you mentioned scale is a, a pretty important factor. Um, what are some of the other things, assuming a more attractive supply, supply-demand fundamental backdrop going forward, where you think that'll get investors attracted to the sector? Uh, do you think a more accurate or a more uh, better use of capital right now is buybacks, or are you considering are dividends a better way to return shareholder capital? Just what are, what are your thoughts there in terms of attracting people to the capital markets? I'm not sure the industry is at the point of returning shareholder capital. I mean, we have a decade that was pretty challenging for, most, for the most part of it. I think really there are opportunities uh, to invest in assets, to possibly buy back stock, depending on the company size and the liquidity available. But I think that, that uh, but the most important way, the most effective way to attract investor interest is if the market improves and allows the payment of dividends. I think that would restore um, more normality to some extent in the sector overall, uh, and that would create investor interest again. Yeah, I think also uh, have to look at uh, individual companies as far as innovation. Um, you know, it's a fairly old industry, um, not known for its innovation, but uh, there's certain things I know, like my company, years ago, uh, everybody was talking about we need a faster route into the U.S. Midwest, and there was a port up uh, in Canada called Prince Rupert, wasn't a container port. Um, we went there, and it's become a huge success. It's the fastest uh, gateway into the American Midwest, fastest gateway from China to the North American continent. Uh, we just recently uh, put a direct port call into Tampa, Florida. That we see is uh, gonna be a very positive uh, move. The Gulf, we've expanded. We have two services into Houston. Um, you really have to look at the companies and what they're doing to serve the trade. Um, at one point, you know, um, uh, Long Beach, LA is still the, the, the largest port in the US, but uh, there's congestion there. So uh, people are building distribution centers all over the United States and the carriers are gonna do well are the ones who can get the cargo into those distribution centers the quickest. Okay, and anything for you, George? Well, I, I think that uh, a successful public company, first of all, has to be public. So it has to have as much possible float, uh, public float and uh, liquidity. So my, my wish list would be to grow our, you know, for our company to grow our uh, public float 
and allow investors to come in and come and go into the company as they please. Obviously, I will agree very much with Tasos. Uh, dividend is important for shareholders, uh, but also stock appreciation. Uh, that, that's what I think it's really what matters. Um, another broad question, just what do you guys think about the potential for technology to impact the container ship sec shipping sector specifically? Um, there's a lot of room for the potential digitization of shipping records. There's obviously blockchain was a big thing maybe a year and a half ago. Um, there's also the potential for 3D printing on container ships and things like that. So it's just interesting to hear your thoughts on maybe the viability of some of those longer term trends becoming reality. You are the best. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, technology, there's a, there's a lot of technological advances. Um, at, uh, I, I could say truthfully, Costco, even though we've grown uh, now to the third largest carrier, uh, in the past I wouldn't say we were the leaders in technology. However, um, we purchased our OCL, who is uh, actually very, very advanced in technology, their computer system, second to none. A lot of the other carriers actually purchased their system. So uh, we went from, you know, 75 to 100% as far as that's concerned, um, as far as in-house systems. Um, there's things going on right now as far as online booking, um, uh, New York shipping exchange, uh, blocking out uh, pieces of business. Um, that's starting to make some headway with some shippers. Uh, there, there's a huge problem that carriers have with exports, with fall down, um, and, and carriers actually never, never charge for this. So sometimes you'll, you'll book the, the vessel at 100% and it sails at 90% because of fall down. Um, and now there's certain areas, like in the Gulf now, they're talking about an explosion of synthetic resin and these people want guarantees, so something like the New York uh, Shipping Exchange, where you can actually block out cargo, but you have to pay for it up front. And if you don't uh, actually use it, there is a, uh, a penalty. So these things are on the, the horizon, uh, and hopefully the industry will catch up with some technological advances. But more generally speaking, if I can add a word, is if you look at the container ship industry, is the one sector of the shipping industry that carries very different items, commodities, inside the boxes. So the information flow compared to dry bulk or to LNG or to tankers is immense. Mm -hmm. So if a sector is to benefit from technology applications, from blockchain to all other financial technology innovations, is container shipping in terms of tracking the content of the containers, not, not to exclude security reasons for that, mm -hmm. to facilitating customs uh, processing, and all kinds of things that follow the, the cargo. Uh, container ship is the area where m the most of these innovations will, uh, will provide. Do you think there's a specific catalyst that has to take place before that actually begins to gain more traction? Because the, the technology has been available for a while, but I guess given how diverse and broad the sector is, it's just d difficult to get consensus. It's difficult to get consensus, but starting from the security field, the, the pressing needs of, uh, of the security of our ports, I think sooner or later, and I believe sooner will dictate implementation of this new technology into container shipping. I think this is, if, if, we, if you look 
with the United States, one area that we are vulnerable is primarily what comes in our ports. Nobody knows exactly what is or could be in a container ship. Mm -hmm. So there, I think that would create the catalyst, as you say, to, uh, for, for the implementation of technology. And if it starts there, I think it will easily flow in all as other aspects of the business. Okay. Uh, we have about four minutes left, so I just wanted to give you guys, open the floor to you guys and maybe tell, them, tell investors why they should be looking at container shipping and specifically your company. Again, I start. <laughs> okay. Eurosys is the only publicly listed company solely dedicated on feeder container ship. So we, we believe we provide an option to investors to play that sector, which, as I explained earlier, is the one that is one of the sectors that the, the industry has selected. The feeders are getting most of the attention along, alongside the bigger, the bigger ships. And I think that and Eurosys provides a viable alternative there. We are a company that has been public for almost 15 years. We have a very transparent operation and proven management. So we believe we can take advantage of the opportunities ahead of us in investing in the, in the right units and uh, provide good returns for people who trust with their money. Yeah. Howard? Okay. Um, as mentioned, Costco is now the third largest uh, container shipping in the world, container uh, carrier in the world. Um, we're the largest actual shipping company. Um, when I started with the company, I'm going on my 25th year now. Um, it was a much different situation out there. Um, we were much basically following some of the other carriers into the Trans-Pacific. Now we're actually probably uh, the leader in the Trans-Pacific. Um, even though China has been hit as far as uh, the volume coming out, it's still the manufacturing capital of the world. So uh, we are basically set for uh, probably the, the best service to and from China to the world. Um, we're looking at innovations that I mentioned, Prince Rupert, we opened that up. Uh, most of the major carriers are now following us in there. We opened up Boston, we opened up the Gulf. Um, so we're actually, uh, we just don't uh, go to ports and ask the shippers to follow us. We go where the shippers need us to go. And sometimes it's uh, unproven areas, but uh, from, from the history, it's uh, proven that we've made the right decisions along with our shippers. Well, uh, our company, GSL, I would say, is a new company. It uh, was a transformative transaction in November, which uh, completely changed the company. The NAV went from 100 million to 500 million. And our stock is uh, very undervalued as we speak. Uh, there is a, a series of events that have happened. Unfortunately, we don't have a, a, an analyst coverage, so the, uh, the industry does not really know uh, or doesn't have the, the time, haven't spent the time to know the value that is uh, in our company hidden. And we're very comfortable that sooner or later the industry will know about it and the stock price is going to really boom. So I would say that, uh, you know, we're more than happy to take meetings with people and explain why they should invest in our company. Uh, we do have the type of ships that. Uh, provide the lowest slot cost, which is the most important figure for liner companies. So we believe that we're well placed uh, and we are, as we speak, uh, capturing the upside potential of the container market that is uh, happening. Uh, so that, 
that's I think summarizes. But may I say something sure. uh, about um, liner companies? Uh, I think that uh, my personal view is that liner companies are going to be very profitable next year, all of them, simply because the surcharge is going to be there. There's no way. It's a matter of survival. They're all going to put the surcharge. Whether they do it collectively, independently, it's a matter of survival. So they're all going to put the surcharge of the fuel. I'm not, I have not, not a single doubt in my mind about it. And also, the, the goods that containers carry are so expensive, and any surcharge is, it's, has a minimal impact into the product value. Now, once they put this surcharge, all of the liner companies have installed a number of scrubbers in their ships. And I believe that all the benefit from the scrubbers is going to end up into their balance sheet as profit. So my view is that stock prices of liner companies next year are going to be good. And hold me to that and see. Thank you. Okay. Well, the, the only thing I would ask is that people don't invest in new buildings again. That's, uh, we're going to have a couple of years of, 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 of good fleet utilization. Uh, and I think that I think most secondhand uh, tonnage is very attractively priced right now. Most public shares are very attractively priced right now. So there should be plenty of, of ways to make money and staying away from the new building market. Okay. Uh, I'll stop there, see if there's any questions. Otherwise, we can head to lunch. All right.